0: This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 721 with Aubrey Gordon. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 721. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. friends. I could not be more excited to be introducing you to our guest today, Aubrey Gordon. Aubrey Gordon writes under the pseudonym of Your Fat Friend, illuminating the experiences of fat people and urging greater compassion for people of all sizes. She is the author of What We Don't Talk About When We Talk About Fat, which you have seen me plaster all over Instagram in the last few months as I've devoured it and also exclaimed that it is critical reading for every single human being. And her newest book that just came out last week, You Just Need to Lose Weight, and 19 Other Myths About Fat People. Her work has reached millions of readers and been translated into 19 languages. She is also the co-host of Maintenance Phase, the podcast where I originally found her, and you need Maintenance Phase in your life. Her co-host, Michael Hobbs, the two of them could not be more brilliant, could not have better synergy. Like They are just magic, and they will open your eyes to so many components and layers of anti-fat bias, anti-fat culture, disability culture, like maintenance phases required listening again for every human. So she's the co-host of the maintenance phase podcast, a top rated podcast in 2021 and 2022. It definitely will be top rated again in 2023. And she's also a columnist with self magazine. Her work has been featured in health magazine, Vox and gay mag among others. She lives in the Northwest, so we're basically neighbors, which makes it great because we're now also best friends, and she works as a writer and organizer. I'm not sure I can adequately describe the deep honor it is to have Aubrey as a guest on the show. When I reached out, I thought, there's no way I'm going to get a reply, and there's no way that the reply will be yes, and here we are. She has a massive fan base that is not specific to moms. So I thought, why would she say yes to me? Little old shameless mom, Sarah. I also never thought that she would be a million times more amazing in real life than she is online because she's already so damn amazing online. But she was an exceptional guest and an exceptionally generous person with her time, her teaching and her laughter. To know her laughter and to know her laugh is to love her laugh. If you know, you know, like you know that Aubrey's laugh is the absolute best. So listen in to hear Aubrey share what it was like for her to go from being an anonymous online writer to a fully public figure, how the success of maintenance phase has impacted her work, how women are conditioned to externally process and speak about their bodies and food constantly and how this is so harmful in a myriad of ways, the importance of understanding thin privilege and recognizing if you benefit from thin privilege scripts and language for parents to talk to kids about bodies and fatness in a neutral way, which really piggybacks on what we recently talked to Sarah Stevens about. So I love that this conversation just gets to be continued in this way. And then Aubrey also shares how to talk to your kids about healthy eating without subscribing your own internalized messages from diet culture, which is a constant struggle if you are someone who was raised by a parent between like, I don't know, 1970 anything and now. <laughs> and so, with all that said, I couldn't be more excited or more honored to be welcoming Aubrey to the show. We're going to be talking about her new book. We'll also do some digging deep into the podcast. This is a fun conversation, and I really did feel like I was just sitting down with a friend. So, enjoy as I fangirl a little bit wildly, but also just dig into some really, really fantastic conversation. So, with all that said, please join me in welcoming Aubrey Gordon to the Shameless Mom Academy. Aubrey Gordon. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so excited to have you here. And oh my gosh, I'm fangirling. I'm trying not to sweat. Like We're going to have a lot of fun today. <laughs> well,
1: thank you for having me. I'm very excited to have this conversation. Yeah.
0: We have to point out what we already covered that I am in a hotel room that I didn't plan on being in in this for this conversation and you are at your mom's house. So we're, mm-hmm. both, we're both in makeshift podcast setups, but look at us making it work.
1: We're figuring it out. The acoustics are going to be weird and we're all going to be fine.
0: Totally. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> all good. All good. Yeah, yeah. So, when I thought about reaching out to you, I was like, how do I do this in a way that's not too stalkerish? So, I sent an email through your website. And I literally in the email was like, excuse me while I fangirl for a minute, I'm going to try not to go for too long after like three paragraphs. I was like, I probably need to stop. So I'm going to just like give the same caveat here. Great, I'm, I'm such a fan of your work. And I know people listening are huge fans of your work, whether people have heard you on your podcast maintenance phase, which you co-host with Mike, or mm-hmm. they've heard you in your Many, many written works online, or they know you through your fat friend, which I follow on Instagram, or they know you through your first book, what we don't talk about when we talk about fat, or they're hearing you from the first time today. You have so many gifts that you bring to the world and you do it in not only a really intentional serious thoughtful and considerate way but you also bring a lot of joy and humor and I just want to thank you in advance for all of that
1: oh thank you that's very kind of you to say yeah it's interesting I had a conversation with someone the other day who was like you know you don't have to act happy all the time and I was (laughs) like oh that's wild that that is reading to you as an act like (laughs) whoops that's where I live. I'm either very happy or like a little bit sad all the time. There we go. Those are my settings. Like we're having a good time. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. I love it. So I want to know we always open the show with asking people to dig into the dynamics of their personal and professional life beyond their mm-hmm. bio to mm-hmm. whatever extent you want to share and tell us what you're most excited about right now.
1: Ooh, what am I most excited about? I would say, so listen. Outside of work world, in work world, I'm excited about making our show. It's a really fun show to make. I have a really good time with it. I just started some research into the glycemic index, which is why people think that white potato is somehow worse for you to eat than a Snickers bar is genuinely Mm -hmm. what's on the glycemic index. That has been a really fun one to start to kind of crack open and figure Mm. out like, you know, pop the hood, see what's going on underneath there. I'll give you this. The research is not rock solid. (laughs) we'll get there. It's not solid. Oh
0: my Um, gosh. I love it.
1: In my personal life, I just got down to Los Angeles where I'm visiting with family. And I've been getting a bunch of time with my niblings. My niece is 15, about to turn 16. And my nephew is 11. And they are like becoming more and more distilled versions of themselves and more and more sure-footed about their sort of place in the world every time I see them. And it's like, I'm just like over the moon about it. Oh, it's so, so fun.
0: Really it's fun. so weird and cool and magical and sometimes heartbreaking <laughs> watching little it. people become big people. Totally. No, it's really remarkable to me,
1: particularly my niece who is like in the thick of it, right? If things are going to go sideways growing up as someone who is perceived and identifies as a girl, boy, oh boy, high school is a pretty good time for that stuff. Oh. And She just seems to be getting better and stronger politics, better and stronger boundaries. She like nopes out of relationships that are not for her in like a heartbeat. I'm like, oh, I was worried about you. And actually probably you should be worried about me. Like you right. got this on lock. I'm the one who's like a little bit of a mess. with this Stuff right. like you have it handled. And that is like it just makes me feel like I could soar. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's such a wonderful feeling to be like, Oh, she's not only okay. She's like better than like most people I know. It's really wonderful.
0: Doesn't that give you so much hope for the future? Like when I look at the people that currently run our country Mm. and I'm like, how do we get out of this? It's so Mm. awful. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then I talk to a teenager. I'm like, Oh, they get it. They're going to get us out and not that it's their job, but I mean, it's going to take a minute and Mm -hmm. they're seeming to be ready.
1: Yeah. It's really incredible to see her and her friends and like all of that, where I'm just like, man, like most of her friends are queer kids and they're all like, I'm going to run for president. That's what I'm going to do. I'm like, I love this world. I love this world where there's like no question in your mind that that's like a possibility for you and you're just going to go for it.
0: Like, it's amazing. It's really thrilling. So great. Yeah.
1: great. Yeah, 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 absolutely.
0: So we're going to talk about your new book in just a minute, but before that, we have to dig into maintenance phase for a minute, because I mean, it was one of the, tell me where it was for 2022. Was it like, it was in the very top, top, top few of Apple podcasts, best picks Mm. for 2022. Mm. It's had massive success and you and Mike have been so thoughtful and conscientious and in such high integrity as you've produced the show, decided to put what you're going to put on the show and really established solid voices around the wellness industry and Mm. the show that it is. Can you talk about the popularity of the show and how that success and kind of what that's felt like and how that's impacted you? Mm. Because it's a big deal. It is a big deal. I will say
1: when we started the show and we started recording it, I think in the early episodes, I don't give my name because Mm. I was still anonymous at that point. I was writing anonymously just as your fat friend. And in the last... You know, two years, but particularly the first year of the show, I went from being like a totally unknown anonymous force with no face, no name, no voice to, you know, we had a great piece in the New York Times with like pictures of me in it and all that sort of stuff. I think I have had a little like emotional whiplash from being totally unknown to being very known. It's been a lot to take in, but I think I'm extremely fortunate that fans of the show And people who read my work and all of that sort of stuff tend to be like extraordinarily considerate, boundaried, lovely, thoughtful, kind people. So like as much as it's been to take in, I think overwhelmingly, it's been like really lovely people, you know, really lovely people.
0: I had forgotten that in the very beginning you Uh didn't, you weren't sharing your name. That sounds really scary to have built an online presence in such Mm. a built a really visible online presence with the name your friend like there's some high stakes in that name and to go from writing anonymously to exposing yourself sharing yourself introducing yourself to the world as a actual person with a name and a face how did that feel was that terrifying it sounds terrifying to me
1: it was scared I think I was less on the like emotionally (laughs) scared sort of like what will it mean to be known kind of thing and more on the logistically like you know, writing about being a fat person and particularly a very fat person in this world without combining that with, and here's how I'm trying to lose weight or, and here's what I'm going to do to not be fat anymore. Doesn't just make people uncomfortable. It makes them angry. And in some cases it makes them violent. So there had been like a number of death threats. There had been some stalking stuff. There had been some like, you know, like threats to safety kind of stuff. And I think that was the most front of mind to me was just like, you know, how do I do this and not have to like move out of my house or, you know what I mean? Like not mention my location or name or anything ever or like, how can I do this safely? I think was my main concern. And it's gone off without a hitch so far. I mean, knock wood, (laughs) we'll
0: see. I wanna thank you for- that increased level of transparency mm. and coming forward and putting yourself out there in a different way, in a more visible way, because that's not something that you owed the world. But I'm imagining that the impact of your work is only greater because you've chosen to do that. Who knows? But sure, I'd like to think so. <laughs> do you know <laughs> what I mean? Like, I don't,
1: I don't have a way of measuring that. But like, absolutely. Like, I super appreciate that. And yeah, it felt like a big thing at the time. Sometimes it still feels like a big thing. And some days I feel like I'm still like emotionally catching up to everything that's happened in the last two years,
0: you know? Yeah, I was going to say the emotional yeah. catch-up is probably real. It for sure, take some
1: time. <laughs> for sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah.
0: This episode is supported by a podcast I want to share with you called Understood Explains. So this is, show is about navigating ADHD, dyslexia, and other learning and thinking differences, which can be so confusing. And so every uh, season of the show is can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. So let's dig into the book a little bit. Can you talk Mm. about what inspired this book, the book that's being released right now, You Just Mm. Need to Lose Weight? Mm-hmm. So this is a book about something that I feel a little bit conflicted
1: about, which is myth-busting, which is a weird thing for me to say mm-hmm. as the host of the podcast that I host. <laughs> I will say myth-busting is sort of a fraught exercise, right? In order to bust a myth, you first have to say the myth again, which is like, right, now we're just repeating all the same old garbage stuff, right? <laughs> But at the same time, many, many people that I know who are sort of amenable to talking more about fatness and fat people and thinking more critically about health and wellness as it relates to fatness and fat people are like their heart is there, but they don't feel like they have the solid grounding or narrative in sort of what's the history here? What are the facts? What are the numbers? What's going on here? To feel like they can confidently speak up and speak out when they see anti-fatness in action, right? Sort of bias against fat people or harassment of fat people or whatever, right? They feel sort of stymied by their own sense that they don't have the grounding that they want or need to have to feel confident in doing that. So to my mind, this is like partly a fact-sharing enterprise and partly a confidence building exercise for folks who are sort of like turning these ideas over in their own minds and feeling more and more distress about the disconnect between where they thought we were socially on this issue and where fat folks experiences indicate that we are on this issue. And I think this is a book that I'm hoping will help some folks bridge that gap and take more actions to get us to where they thought we were.
0: Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Totally. So at the beginning of the book, one of the things that was really helpful and eye-opening for me Mm. as someone who admittedly thinks she knows a lot of things about a lot of things. (laughs) You and me both, buddy. (laughs) So I started reading through you laid out a ton of definitions around like words that you're like, here's the terminology we're going to use in this book. Here's mm. what how these words are intended to be used and understood. Here's what they mean. Mm. Um, and some of the terms, especially because I'm a super fan of your work, a lot of the terms weren't new, new to me. sure But the nuance in a lot of them, I was like, oh, yeah, like I hadn't thought about that that way or what have you. So first thing mm. I want to say. Is just for people to go and get the book, just to read those, the words, definitions, and language and verbiage. Like that is a whole, like, 101 class right there Mm -hmm. that all humans should know or should participate in. So that was really, really helpful to me. The other piece is recognizing that we and especially and i'll say like progressive liberal white women like Mm. we think we know all these things and we think we know Mm. like we think we like have all of the right picket signs to go to all the marches and all the things (laughs) i'm totally in that category i had Mm. like (laughs) oh me too yeah. Like yeah. we're, butt- and we're butt- you. you're from Portland. I'm you. from Seattle. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of marches we can attend. A lot so- of marches.
1: A <laughs> lot of self satisfaction. A lot of all right. of it. I'm, right, I'm right. in the soup. I'm not separate totally. from the soup.
0: Absolutely. Totally. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And even with that, mm. oh crap! There's so many ways that we mess this up, and not just like as a society. Because I think any of us and women listening to the show I know recognize mm. how women are impacted by constant messaging by mainstream Mm. media and the impact of diet culture and all of this that we've all been raised in and the Mm. long-term, the generational impact of being raised by mothers in the seventies and eighties. But the fact that we, what we continue to perpetuate, even when we think Mm. we know better. And that's, I think what so much of this book is about, but even just Mm. those words in the very beginning, identifying the ways that People are oppressed for their bodies, whether they're in a small fat body versus a fat body versus a super fat body and knowing Mm. what the difference is and the nuance around all of that is so significant. So that piece just in and of itself was so helpful to me. Mm. On top of that, I think that there is, we don't acknowledge the oppression that people face for the ways that their bodies take up space on a regular basis. We don't acknowledge it at all, let alone making consistent considerations for it and making consistent consideration for other people. And I think especially given how many considerations we and circumstances that we've started to make space for in this world, as it relates Mm. to race and ableism and religion. Mm. And I mean, since 2020, like all the things. And this is where we just keep failing so Mm. badly. Mm. And that is, I think, where I just appreciate your work so much because Mm. you need to like call a spade a spade and acknowledge that we have so much work left to do here.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, listen, I would say that as on any number of social issues, right. And as with any number of marginalized communities, we are all walking through the world, breathing the air that tells us to think about fat people in one specific way, right? Since childhood, I mean, like, I think one of the things that I think about most often is how often are villains in kids' movies fat? And how often are people who are unintelligent or comic relief fat? How often have you seen a fat lead in a kid's movie and had that person's plot line be anything about, like about anything other than their size, right? Or an Mm -hmm. implication about their character from their size. We are all walking around in this stuff all the time. It is not our fault that we have learned to replicate it because we're not actually getting any other viewpoints or any other opportunities to try on any other frameworks for size, right? I would say this fits squarely into the category of like, it's not our fault that we picked up the only thing that was offered to us, but it is our responsibility to put that down and pick something else up, you know?
0: Yeah, totally. So with that and choosing to take responsibility for that. And I think mm. as I'm digging into kind of this parental component of it, so yeah, in, the Shameless Mo- in the Shameless Mom Academy, we have a lot of moms. <laughs> and, surprise. I can't imagine <laughs> why. Yeah, And so... When we think about our responsibility, it feels like there's a lot of layers because I think about my responsibility when it, as it relates to the other women I'm in community with and as it relates to if I'm going to go in and speak in a corporate setting and as it relates to all sorts of things in my community. And then I think about this layer of parenting and how parents talk to their kids about bodies and specifically how moms talk to their kids about bodies because- moms. Again, I was raised by a mom in the seventies, eighties, and nineties. And so there's a lot of messaging in there. Mm-hmm. So, I was going to say, talk- I
1: bet you had a lot of like weight watchers, point sliders around mm-hmm. little food scales around the house.
0: I went to wait, join weight watchers for the first time at age 12 with yeah, my mom. Totally. So what's yeah. up, buddy?
1: I was like 10 or yeah. 11 high five. Yeah. Hey, yeah.
0: Well- only kid in the room when I went. Yeah. So, and my mom was a lifetime member and yeah. So it was like all of this, I mean, between Weight Watchers and the cabbage soup diet and the, I mean, <laughs> all the things you've talked about on maintenance. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like this is what I was raised in. And so I know that I'm not alone in wanting to have more thoughtful, conscientious conversations and like mm-hmm. knowing better and doing better with my child, mm-hmm. a 10 year old boy. So how can parents talk to their kids about bodies and size in safe and constructive ways?
1: So I would say a couple of things. One, well, I think there's a few different ways of thinking about this, right? One is how do you talk about other people's bodies and size? Mm, One is how do you handle bodies and size in your own household and with your own kid, right? And a third part that I think is the one that gets the shortest shrift is how do you model talking about your own body? Because Mm -hmm. if I think back to my own 80s and 90s upbringing with a deeply Weight Watchers mom, the ways that I learned to reject my own body were not because of a bunch of specific things that she was picking at about me. You know, there's some of that, but mostly it was seeing how she talked about her own body and understanding that that's my model for adulthood, right? That when you become an adult, when you become, in my case, an adult woman, part of being a woman means going to Weight Watchers. Part of being an adult woman means talking to other people and engaging them in conversation about how nobody needs to see your thighs. Nobody wants to see that, right? Like all of that kind of stuff is really powerful modeling for kids, Mm -hmm. not only about how they're supposed to feel about their own bodies and how you feel about yours, but also how they're supposed to read other people's bodies, right? Mm -hmm. I think it's easy to get stuck in the parts of this conversation that feel most urgent, to us as individuals, which is usually how we feel about our own bodies, without realizing that when we're modeling that to other folks, we're also teaching them how to treat fatter people, right? Mm, That when you're sort of talking about, I'm unacceptably fat, and that will mean X, Y, and Z things for me, or this fat person can or can't have this thing, that is sending a really clear message sort of to everybody around you about what assumptions they should be making about people who are fatter than them. Yeah, And it is also instilling a great deal of pressure to them to be a certain level of thin and to be in sort of this constant pursuit that you and I have both been sort of inculturated into, right? Yeah. I would say, listen, the biggest thing that I end up talking to, I am not a parent, to my good friends who are parents, is the biggest question that they get is, I don't want to tell my kid not to say fat. But I also don't want to send them out into the world thinking that it's terrible to be fat. And so I'll get like,
0: this is the crux,
1: right? This This is is the the crux. Yes. And I will say what I have shared with almost all of them. And I haven't gotten the bad report yet. I mean, I don't know, (laughs) is that what I share with them is the conversation that I've had with my niece and nephew since sort of day one, which is. Fat is a totally fine thing to be. It's fine to be fat. It's fine to be skinny. It's fine to be tall. It's fine to be short. It's fine to have one color hair or another color hair. All of those things are totally fine. And how people describe their own bodies has to be up to them. Mm -hmm. Some people really like the word fat. Some people don't. Most of the time, you don't really need to talk about other people's bodies. As it turns out, this is mostly an academic decision that we're making here, right? Right. Because most of the time, you don't actually go up to someone and be like, how you doing, fatty? Right? Like, that's like not (laughs) a thing that, that's not a way that we address people, generally speaking. Right. So for the most part, this is a conversation in like, how to get kids in my own limited experience. This is a conversation about how to get kids to respect other folks' boundaries and not train them in the reflexive thing that happens to me all the time as a fat person, which is I say something about being a fat person. And then I am mired in a 45 minute conversation with someone going, sweetie, no, you're not fat, right? Which isn't about me. That isn't about the size of my body. Objectively, a fat body, right? Mm -hmm. Like there's no two ways about that one. And what it ends up feeling like to me is that I am being told that I can't be trusted to describe my own body. Right. And that is, you know, a subtle and really pervasive way that we just sort of kind of wrest people's bodies from them and insist that our own ideas about what it means to be fat that being fat means being rejected or being unloved or being isolated or being made fun of or whatever having a negative body image, right? All of these things are things that we attach to fatness rather than just going, that's a body type that some people have Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: is separate from their character. It's separate from their social lives, right? So I think that creating some space to go, you know, some people are fat and some people are thin. That is all totally fine. And most of the time you don't need to describe their bodies. But if you do, you should just use the words that they use. And if you don't know what words they use, you can just ask them, look at that.
0: Yeah, done yeah. and done, easy piece. Yeah, <laughs> so helpful. I also really appreciate in this, you talk about this in the book too, that you pointed out that some people- like to be fat. Some people don't like to be fat. Mm. There's this assumption because culture tells us, society tells us that it's quote unquote bad and mm. that we shouldn't desire this. There's this mm. an assumption that like no one ever wants to live in a bigger body and is always trying to get smaller or always desiring to get smaller. And I love in the book where you talk about like, no, some people want to live in bigger bodies and yeah, totally. And fine. <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, who cares? Like, that's uh, awesome. t- absolutely.
1: Yeah. I think it is a very strange thing <laughs> that so many of us have such a strong knee-jerk reaction to the idea that someone else would be not only at peace with being a fatter person, but yeah. desiring of it or enjoying yeah. of it or yeah. seeing benefits to it. I mean, I talked to one of my very good friends who uh, refers to me being fat as me having a jerk detector He's like, they just present themselves to you. They're like, hey, don't mess with me. I'm a jerk. Like I'm like, there is value in that to me. That's not apart from being fat. That's because of being fat. That like- People who develop more transactional relationships with people or people who are more superficial or people who are dealing with their own anti-fatness or whatever, make themselves known to me Mm -hmm. so fast (laughs) and it saves me a ton of time and energy. And that's great. You know, I think that, you know, we're still in a place culturally where we expect that when we see a fat person that they actually owe us an explanation as to how they are currently trying to get unfat. Yes. Right. That there is a pressure to say I'm fat, but I'm going to the gym later today. And I got myself pants that are two sizes smaller to motivate me. And I blah, 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 right. Like all of this sort of stuff is like an expected performance of fat people. And I think the world that I'm interested in is a world in which all of us can say, here's what's going on for me and my body. And I understand that that might be different for you. And like, I've got space for me. My own body is sovereign. Your own mm-hmm. body is sovereign. And we've all got sort of space to give voice to our own experiences. That feels like really promising to me. And currently there is almost all of the space that we have that's devoted to thinking and talking about bodies, body image, and body size is configured around thinness and thin people. Mm -hmm. So right now we've got a whole big pie, right, of time and energy that we're devoting to this. And there is like the teeniest, tiniest sliver of that is going to fat people who are most of us. Right. And the lion's share is going to thin people who are not most of us.
0: Right. Right. And when you say most of us, you mean Mm. that the average weight, body size, body shape in the United States is categorically in the category of fat.
1: Yeah. I would say based on the BMI, which is a garbage (laughs) tool that nobody should be using.
0: Very garbage, very racist. (laughs) Nonsense.
1: Nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense. (laughs) But it is also the only thing that we have population level data on is folks' BMIs. We don't actually have independent weight data. We don't have actually independent clothing size data, all that kind of stuff. Based on the BMI, a commanding majority of Americans have BMIs that are overweight or obese. And I find it really fascinating that we have set up a conversation that doesn't serve most of us. Mm -hmm. It feels really telling. Yeah.
0: Yes. So you just mentioned we've set up a conversation (laughs) and Mm. Which is true. We are always, and people are in constant conversation about other people's bodies and about an external processing of bodies. And something that Mm. jumped out to me when you were talking a minute ago about how we talk about, how we're constantly kind of narrating. And if we would have parents in the 70s, 80s and 90s, we were modeled Mm. this constant narration of, what, how we feel about our bodies, what we're eating Mm. at any given moment. And I was Mm. thinking through conversations that I remember my mom having with her girlfriends. And like, one of the ones that's like really clear to me is her friend telling her about this really great snack that she discovered that was, Mm. um, and you're going to relate to this for sure. It was take some ice cubes and some crystal light powder (laughs) and Put it in a blender and all of a sudden you have uh, a calorie free uh, smoothie, uh, 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 zero Weight Watchers points. And I remember my mom and her friend making this in the kitchen when we were like at a summer cabin together uh-huh. and just being like, oh my gosh, like I'm so glad I happened to walk through the kitchen at this moment to discover this as they were learning it. And they're like narrating, like, you can have like any, as many as you want per day because it's zero points and no calories and blah, blah, blah. So this constant external processing. Mm-hmm. around what we're eating, narration around what we're eating, thinking about when we go out with friends to dinner. And this is like something that has been, oh my gosh, for as long as I can remember going out to dinner with women, men mm. just order, right? They just like, yeah, I'll have like the burger, add some bacon, whatever. And women have to have a whole like therapy session about every single thing that they're ordering right, with the whole table. So well, concentrate- what I want
1: is a cheeseburger, but I can, I've been so bad today. Yes. I couldn't possibly, yes, absolutely. <laughs> yes. Good.
0: And then narration around clothes and how you feel about your body on any given day and blah, blah, blah. So it's, that's always being modeled. So then Mm -hmm. when you say like, when we're in this constant conversation and we talk about talking to our kids about bodies and because we are modeling that this is something that we always need to be talking about, it keeps Mm -hmm. it like, it keeps it one of the more important and what I'm saying important in quotes, but like, it keeps it seeming like it's really important. Like we should always be thinking about it, commenting on it, deciding around it, putting things in certain boxes, having, you know, deciding what the boundaries are. And the reality is, is that none of it needs to be taught. Like we don't ever really need to talk about our bodies out loud or anyone else's.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think like, listen, in sort of political and social media world, there is this ongoing conversation about platforming and deplatforming folks. Like, what does it mean to give someone a platform? What does it mean to try and take that platform away? I don't think that we often think about our own social actions as being part of platforming or deplatforming something. And mm. when we participate in this stuff in this way, we're platforming it. Right. We are giving it a platform to the people we often the people who are closest to us, the people we love most in the world. We are inviting them into the thing that we're pretty well aware hasn't been great for us. Do you know what I mean? Like physically, emotionally, socially, however you want to slice it, hasn't been like an overwhelming force for good in the world. Right. Right. And I think it's, you know, a tricky balancing act, but and a tough conversation to have, but we've got to be able to figure out, listen, where are we sort of experiencing and giving voice to our own hurt and mm-hmm. where are we just straight up perpetuating a thing you know right. and i think this is one of those cases i mean like that thing about ordering at the table i will say as a fat person when people start talking about their own food and the food that they want to order or not order or whatever the thing that almost always follows that is some amount of comment on what i'm eating Mm -hmm. And what I choose to eat. Right. So it is both someone who is so deep in their own stuff. Right. And so sort of consumed by their own focus on their own food and body size that they also start without really realizing it, without really meaning to projecting that onto anyone else who I think in those moments, they see me as their nightmare future self. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is like they start doing their self-talk at me without necessarily Stopping to think about how it would feel to be in a social situation where in a group of people, someone else is just calling everyone's attention to what you're eating, what that would feel like, what message that would send about your body, all that kind of stuff. I mean, I think the tricky thing about all of this stuff is people love to say we're all harmed by diet culture, and we are, and... It is really hard to feel badly about your own body and to not feel at home in your own body. It is a different kind of hard to go into a doctor's office and have your doctor say yourself talk to you or have a doctor refuse to treat you or not know if when you buy a seat or even two seats on an airplane, if you'll be allowed to keep those seats, right? We've got to be able to acknowledge the sort of range of experiences that folks have around body size without collapsing them all into the one container that we recognize, which is our own struggle, right? Right. Like we've got to be able to acknowledge that hearing out someone else's experience and advocating for that person alongside them doesn't actually like take away from our own. And that when we do stuff like this, when we sort of, again, platform our own insecurities and make those sort of a social interaction that we're also sending messages to the people that we're talking to about their bodies and about how we're reading and sort of surveilling them.
2: Absolutely. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters. And, what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.
0: All the examples that you just gave, and thank you for those examples around doctor's offices and airplanes and all those, you dig into all those in your first book with like stories and research and data. And so I want to encourage anyone who's like, wait, what? To go read what we don't talk about when we talk about that because you give some really important information there whether it's your own anecdotal experience or like research um around those topics. I also want to add to what you're saying around I want to bring up specifically thin privilege which you haven't used that term but I think it's really yeah. important that we put it in here. Yeah. So what you've just shared is when you know when someone at any given dinner table who has not been oppressed for their body size, body shape, the way their body takes Mm. up space in the world can just express their discomfort around something. And there's other people sitting there who have been oppressed. It really shows a strong inability to read the room, (laughs) 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 but it happens all the time. Yeah, totally. I think
1: there are lots of folks that I know who have a really strong social justice analysis, who have really strong political leanings that are not afraid to talk about those who are really good critical thinkers and fact checkers and who don't really stand for bad data in their lives. And something happens when we talk about fat people where they just like flip a switch and power that part off. And it is like (laughs) one of the great mysteries of my life that like some of the smartest and most thoughtful people that I know really uncritically can participate in this kind of stuff. And not only that, but can resist A deeper conversation about, like, hey, I know what you're saying is this, but when you say these things to me, when you talk about how if you got fat, that would be terrible and your husband would leave you, you're a size 10 and I'm a size 26. Whether or not you mean to say something about me, you've chosen to talk that through with me as a person. And you've chosen to not really acknowledge what you're saying means for someone like me, which leaves me to draw my own conclusions and my own conclusions then are, Oh, you must think my life is a terrible little cesspool. (laughs) You must Mm -hmm. think I'm, you know, if you're concerned about losing weight for your health, quote unquote, at a size 14, you must think that I'm ready to drop dead, right? Like unless we sort of are explicit about what we're saying, who we're talking to, why we're talking to them and what we're talking about we end up sending all of these really unintended messages that are, can be extremely hurtful. In the same way, again, like we are all targets of diet culture. Uh, we have all experienced some side of what it means to imagine ourselves as fat people or to be fat people. And we have all also been the force that drives someone else to understand that too, right? We're all victims of it and we're all also perpetrators of it. And we've got to figure out how to talk about both things yeah. without getting mired in, but my thing is the deepest realist thing or without getting mired in, I'm a good person and I couldn't possibly, right? Like yeah. both of those are, again, kind of roads to nowhere. Oof.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think holding space, and this is, and I have to give a shout out to Sarah Stevens, who's been on the show mm. three times and we've talked about bodies at every turn. Mm. And she is someone who does a lot of um, conversation in fact, yeah. Uh, fact, fact, my gosh. I'm mixing up fat and (laughs) facts. She's done a lot of work in fat activism. And she said to me, I think it was the second time she came on the show. She sent me a message, something about after the fact about, I just appreciate you being a thin ally. And I was Mm. like, what? Like I had not heard that before. And also I feel, I don't think of myself as a thin person. Like I feel very kind of average. And, and it kind of took me to this place of like, oh, there has to be space to recognize and hold the both. And that I, and to your point that you just made that I can be someone who has struggled because of diet culture and had, you know, to whatever depths my body image issues run, and they run deep. If you started Weight Watchers for the first time at age 12, to hold space for that and hold space for the fact that the way I move through the world um, is I'm never oppressed for my body size and Mm -hmm. to be able to hold space for both of those things and then recognize what's my responsibility in both of those spaces. And also where do I carry anti-fat bias because I benefit from living in a body that looks like mine. And that's a lot to reckon with, but also like part of my responsibility Yeah, totally. And also, listen, like, even if folks, like, I don't need people who don't
1: wear plus sizes to all get right with calling themselves thin, right? Like, I'm like, call yourself whatever you want to call yourself. I'm going to call myself whatever I want to call myself, right? That's fine. You don't have to feel like a thin person, right? Like, that's totally fine. You don't have to. And we also have to be able to recognize that if you, we're both on trips right now, if you forgot a pair of pajamas or underpants or whatever you could go into i'm guessing you correct me if i'm wrong you could go into pretty much any mall pretty much any store and find something that would fit around your body right i cannot right like i can't do that you could go into a doctor and talk to them about your health concerns and they will go oh what are your symptoms what do you need treatment for great I could go into that same doctor and talk through those same symptoms and they would say, come back in six months or a year when you've lost weight, right? Mm -hmm. That there are material harms. I mean, like, listen, there are a number of different, there's sort of a scatter plot of data on uh, salary stuff, but on the high end, there are some studies and surveys that have shown that thin people can make up to $20,000 more a year than fat people, right? There are very concrete harms. And when we reduce everything back down to, but I don't feel good in my body, Mm
0: -hmm. then that's
1: the only conversation we're allowing to happen in our presence, right? right? And it stymies the efforts to remedy really challenging things, like things around media representation, like things around access to healthcare and food and Education and all kinds of stuff. I mean, like, listen, we're talking about parenting here. I mean, I think we don't often think about in classrooms, depending on the kind of classroom that you're in, those are built for one kind of body. I spent my high school years avoiding specific classes because those classes happened in classrooms that had attached desks. And I was tired of leaving class with big, deep bruises on my belly, right? And I was tired of being in physical pain to be in this particular class. So I just stopped that whole field of study, right? We've got to be able to trust that our own experiences have integrity and those are worth talking about enough to understand that other folks' experiences are different and that we are being called upon to either reinforce and amplify their voices and rectify that situation or stay focused relentlessly sort of on ourselves. And demand a conversation that meets only our specific needs, right? Like that's the sort of feels like a core part of the struggle absolutely. here for me. Does that feel like it lands for you? What am I missing here? Well,
0: yes. I feel like I'm no, that, that absolutely makes sense. Hmm. And that makes total sense. And the invitation that I want to make to parents and hmm. folks listening is to be open to considerations that maybe you haven't previously um, mm-hmm. either thought of or recognized or been open to. Maybe you've been completely close to some of the things that we're talking about today and look at where do you, like, how is it landing for you? What does it feel like? Where are you like, mm-hmm. oh, I might have some things to learn there. And I think mm-hmm. the one thing I want to touch on before we wrap that mm-hmm. I think is really relevant for parents can be really confusing is the connection between bodies and health, which we Mm -hmm. don't have time to dig into all of that, but we know that there's just so much research and data that doesn't necessarily show a correlation that when health goes or that when weight goes up, health goes down Mm -hmm. um, or health parameters and measurements and metrics. Mm -hmm. And as parents, we are wanting to encourage our children to quote unquote, be healthy, which of course, Mm -hmm. like makes so much sense. Like you wouldn't want to be like child, go be unhealthy. Yeah when we are coming from a position of being raised with all the messaging and existing in the world with all the messaging that we've just talked about, how do we be conscientious of how we are setting our children up to, I want to think about how I want to phrase this. So yeah, totally. it's I a know one. I, I, well, I'm like, okay, we have three minutes and I want to make sure I get all the, right <laughs> the The main thing is, is that we are wanting to invite our children to live healthy lifestyles that can look like a million different things, but also inviting your children and, Pushing on your children to live a quote unquote healthy lifestyle is mm. often veiled cult, uh, talk around diet culture. And okay. so when you talk about the trauma of not being able to go to the classes you wanted to go to because you had bruises on your body because of the way your body fit into a desk, how do we talk to our kids around their general health without mm. making it veiled diet culture talk? That's a really big question in our last few minutes.
1: Totally. I mean, so I'll say this a, a good friend of mine, Jen who's a wonderful and a wonderful mom has a rule in her house. That's just like, you have something green with every meal. Look at that. There's something green in every meal. That's what we do, right? Like that's like a pretty good rule. It has nothing to do with weight. It has nothing to do with size or appearance or any of that kind of stuff. I mean, I would also say, "Mm, I think there are a couple of things. One, this is a weird lesson to pull from a weird source. I was doing research on goop. I'm so sorry to bring us here. (laughs) It's doing research on Goop. And in in an unusual show of outstanding judgment, they have (laughs) Janet Mock speak. Janet Mock, who's like a very famous writer and trans woman who talked about how do you raise kids who are may or may not be questioning their gender, may or may not be trans kids. And her number one piece of advice I thought was one of the most useful things I've maybe ever heard, which is. Your job as an adult is not to put adult anxieties on your kid.
0: Mm, yeah. And
1: I think a lot of the stuff around weight and health and size are putting very adult anxieties onto kids, right? Yeah. I think it's also worth reflecting on in the conversations that each of us have had with our own parents or whoever the grown ups were in our lives growing up. When your parents talked to you about what you ate and how you looked, did any of those land well for you? (laughs) Like, did any of them make you feel better? If there Mm -hmm. were some, awesome. What made that land particularly well for you and how can you replicate that, right? Mm -hmm. Great. That's awesome. I don't know that I've had any conversations that I can recall (laughs) with other Mm -hmm. folks where they've said, you know what, my parents handled this really well. It just seems worth flagging that a lot of the things that I think we think we need to say to kids are to assuage our own worries and our own insecurities. Mm, Yeah. And we can also just make the food for the kids and be like, you got to eat something from everything on your plate. Mm -hmm. The end. Right. Yeah. And listen, I feel acutely aware in a conversation like this that I'm not a parent. And there are so many like, (laughs) there are so many daily battles that I'm not fighting. Mm -hmm. And also I think it's worth considering that sometimes when we think we need to say something, we don't actually need to say anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like there are times when the thing to do is just to do something, call it a day and own that, you know, in most cases it's our job as adults to make sure that kids are fed and fed well. And we're actually kind of in charge of what's the food that's in the house. What's happening here. Right. All of that kind of stuff. That's not on kids to own. And as we all know, as you and I started this conversation from a place of talking about the impacts of our own mom's relationships to food and dieting and all of that kind of stuff and health and wellness, that stuff has a half-life that is really long, really, really long. Yeah. Yeah. So I think being extraordinarily thoughtful, there is the sort of this idea that you have to say something, you have to say it all the time, you have to be sort of on it to enforce this sort of set of ideas about health. And I would say that might be teaching them how to eat healthier or how to be healthier people. It might also be teaching them how to have an eating disorder.
0: Yeah. 100%. It might also
1: be teaching them that if and when they become fat, their parents might not regard them in the same way or might not love them in the same way or might not respect them in the same way, right? right. Like. I think we get so hung up on like specific nutrients and foods and not eating too many fatty things and not too much fast food and not too much blah, 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 that we sort of are only talking about the restrictions and we're only setting the parameters of here are the conditions in which you're allowed to eat. Here are the ways that you're allowed to look. This is the health level at which I will continue to embrace and love you, right? Like all of that kind of stuff are all unintended messages that are like, baked into this kind of stuff, you know? Absolutely. There was a lot of stuff in my own childhood about like, you know, if you put your mind to anything, you can do it. And like, you're a smart, capable kid. So now you just need to turn that toward dieting or toward weight loss or toward eating healthy in X, Y, and Z ways, right? And when inevitably all of us get sick at some point, inevitably all of us gain some weight at some point. You don't want to have all of this added social and emotional and family burden to that conversation, right? You don't want to have a kid who feels like if they don't have a healthy meal that they're failing their parents somehow, or they're failing themselves or what have you. Mm -hmm. Like, I think this is a really good place to check on what's a thing for adults
0: to worry about and what's a thing for kids to worry about. I love that. I love that so much. And that's a great place for us to wrap if for moms listening, if you have mm. been, if you found yourself curious during this conversation, if you found yourself like, oh crap, <laughs> <in this> conversation. <laughs> I think there's so much we don't recognize that we need to know until we start digging into this content and this how ingrained and insidious it is among everyone and how the messaging just, it goes so deep and there's so many, it goes so deep and so wide and so many layers. Mm -hmm. So I want to invite everyone to continue learning and take that as a really important part of your responsibility as a parent. Like, I feel like the way that I talk to my child about race and the way that I talk to him about the LGBTQ plus community is that this conversation is equally important and, or not having certain conversations with him around food and bodies are of equal caliber. So I want people to continue learning by consuming more of your content, Aubrey. So I want people to go listen to maintenance phase, like every single freaking episode, join Patreon because you need all of the bonus content that's on (laughs) Patreon as well. (laughs) And then also get both of the books. So can you go ahead and share where people can get both of your books? So the new book is you just need to lose weight. Your previous book is what we don't talk about when we talk about, fat. Where can Mm -hmm. people get all the things?
1: Any bookstore that you like to go to should be able to get either one or have both of them already. And if you have a hard time finding them, uh, you can uh, go to aubreygordon.net slash myths is where you can find the new book. And there are a bajillion links about where to buy that
0: one. Yeah. Nice. So you didn't narrate the first book, but you are narrating this book. So for people who love to listen to you talk and read and laugh, which Mm -hmm. I and mean, there's many things that are great about you, but your laugh is one of them. Like, Uh-oh. it's at the top of the list. And Thanks, so, buddy. Appreciate that. So, listening to you and Mike laugh together is like one of my, it's like balm for my soul. Um, oh, so, yeah. you are narrating the new book, which is really exciting for people who want to listen on audio as well. So, oh my goodness. Aubrey, thank you. Thank you for being here. And you've been extremely generous with your time. I'm so incredibly grateful. And look, we did it in our wonky setups. We did it. Setups. Nailed it.
1: I love it. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a real treat.
0: Oh my gosh, thank you, Audrey.